Welcome back to What's the Big Idea? Today on the show, we have Jesse Israel. And Jesse's one of the most talented community builders I have ever met. Um, today, we focus on his big idea, which is the power of being real and how being real unlocks our full leadership potential, the deepest human connection, and the power to build really transformative community. And Jesse has put this into action. He's created some remarkable organizations, um, you know, starting with Cantora Records, which he started in college at NYU, managing bands like MGMT, then getting into meditation and starting MediClub, hundreds of people coming together to meditate, the big quiet, a mass meditation movement, thousands and thousands of people coming together to meditate at the same time. And on top of that, now he's facilitating and leading workshops for you know, major Fortune 500 organizations, everyone from American Express to Barney's, you name it. And uh, like we said, today's episode is about the power of being real. And Jesse, you know, very apropos that his name is Jesse Israel, literally is real. And he takes us along his own journey. He lays out all sorts of practical insights about how to ground into internal motivation, trust your voice, how to demonstrate your value, not promote what you do. Super powerful stuff. I love the chat. I love this man. Without further ado, Jesse Israel. 89.1 FM New York. This is The Abstract with your host, DJ Jesse Israel, playing you the finest in abstract hip hop and avant turntablism. <laughs> <laughs> so we are obviously here right now with the finest DJ the Tri State has ever known, the one and only Jesse Israel. Jesse, welcome to What's the Big Idea? Oh, my man, it's so good to be here. It is so good. So Jesse and I were scheduled to do this interview about an hour ago, but we sat down and we we got right into what was going on for both of us, some very, very real stuff. And it reminded me of this concept that became clear to me probably about two years ago. And it was uh, a concept and a thought about friendship and like how to choose your friends, so the people that you want to invest in. And I just had this thought that when I feel good, I feel best when I'm like contributing or helping people. And so I was like, all right, so who are the people in my life that I'm just like called to support? Who are the people in my life that I just want to help because I believe in them? And Jesse and I have been friends now for probably like five years. But I just remembered that Jesse was one of the first people there that I was like, man, I'm always called to sit down, to listen to him, to support him because I believe in him. And I just think that's one of the most powerful constructs for friends of surround yourself with people that you want to support. Because if you want to support them, then you're going to help them. But in the process, you're going to feel good. Because if you're ever helping people you care about, you're going to feel good. So it's a literal win-win situation. And so Jesse has been one of those people in my life for a very long time. Um, and I'm very excited to have you on the show today. Man, um, it's an honor to hear that and to know that I'm in your life in that way. So thank you, bro. And thank you for having me. Of course, man. So, you know, I want to I wanna kind of get into the big idea in a little bit, but first to help people kind of get a deeper understanding of who you are and everything that you're up to in the world. If someone asks you the question, what do you do? How do you answer that? Oh, this has been a challenging one for me since I left my record label uh, five years ago. I asked you this question before and you had the exact same answer like three <laughs> years ago. So I'm happy to hear that it's still evolving. 
Um, I'd say that I run a meditation business and that I also teach meditation and speak publicly about community building. Amazing. And why is that the work that you're drawn to do? I'd say that the elements of that work energize me and bring out a sense of fulfillment in me that um, I haven't experienced in other places in my life. So I've dedicated my career to it. Mm. And um, so part one of that is, is how it allows me to feel and how it allows me to feel alive. Part two of it is that doing work that I can tangibly see and feel has an impact on people and I believe allows people to really step into their own leadership and, and have an impact on other people in the world is incredibly fulfilling and exciting to me. Yeah. You know, it's, I, I want to kind of touch on something that we just chatted about, which is this kind of transition into, for both of us, into this role of facilitator, of teacher, of coaching in some capacities and how both of us have shared in some resistance, right? To fully stepping into that. And that the big shift, I think, in in me that I experienced that I shared with you was again, was seeing when giving yourself to understanding some of these different modalities, whether that's as a coach, as a leader, as a teacher, and then seeing someone come back and really telling you how their life has been changed, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a shift in career and the way that they're relating to their family is that that ultimately, you know, for me has been one of the, the greatest feats of like fulfillment of just being energized and fulfilled and, and proud of the work that I was doing, which is, allowed me and I think you probably shared in some of that so tell me a little more about the journey of where you're at right now and and what's most present in the work and what's kind of lighting you up giving myself permission to just enjoy the work that I'm doing and to just be able to soak it up and appreciate it without the thing that I've done so often in this new career over the past four years which has been saying, yeah, this is energizing and fulfilling and cool and it has an impact on people. People respect it, but then there's always this but, but how is it going to turn into a $500 million business? How am I going to be um, the next badass millennial entrepreneur within the wellness space? <laughs> right? There, there's always been this, this sort of back voice that says, oh, that's great that you do this thing that you found you know, in your recent years of your life, but you know, Jesse, this is my voice talking, you know, Jesse, you were raised in a wealthy family. Your peers are very wealthy. A lot of the individuals you know have huge startups and yeah. there's just a way of being around money in particular that um, that has held a lot of weight. And I've, I've been through a process, this answers your question, I've been through a process of unlearning that. It's taken me some time. And I'd say what's present for me in my work right now is really being aware of when that kicks in and to give it a smile, maybe a little kiss. <laughs> But then to just go, all good, I understand that's something that I'm working through, but the truth is I'm here to really dedicate myself to the stuff that feels most fulfilling, Yeah. period. Yeah. And I believe, and I've seen this with my own stuff and with so many of my peers, that if we're in a position in our lives where we're able to follow that, give ourselves to the stuff that feels fulfilling, not the stuff that we feel like we should be doing, totally. but the stuff that feels fulfilling, what blossoms from it, yeah. it's pretty incredible, even if we can't make sense of it right now. Totally. I think an, an interesting thought construct here is when we think about what it is that we're doing or what it is that we tell ourselves we want to be doing, would that still be the thing if you couldn't share it with anyone else, right? If the only people who knew about it were the people you were doing it with, 
whether that's starting a company, whether that's working as a coach, whether that's teaching, whether that's working in like the sciences. But if you couldn't share what you were doing, if other people, the grander world at large didn't know about it, would it still be the thing, right? Or how much of what we're doing is tied up in the appearance, the performance of us doing that thing, right? And I think that for me personally, again, like so much of this is just like unlearning from fucking high school mm -hmm. of like the need to be cool, to belong, to fit in, to be perceived as valuable, right? And then so much of that just coming back to know, like the magic again is finding the thing that just lights you up for the sake of doing it. And, you know, it's been a process <laughs> for both of us to get back there. But uh, it's amazing to watch you blossom into this work. And, you know, it's a nice transition into, I think, what we're going to talk about today with your big idea. And as you know, we invite people on What's the Big Idea to talk about the, the piece of insight or wisdom that they wish more people could integrate into their lives. And the one that you know, I'm going to invite you to introduce to our audience is so powerful because it has so much crossover value from just our personal lives, being able to live in fulfillment, to building community, to leading our organizations. And so with that, Jesse Israel, what is your big idea? It's owning our realness and applying it to all the things that we do in our lives. And I can speak more specifically to what realness means. Please do. For me, um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to frame this through a quick example. Please. For me, when I left the record label that I was running for nine years, and I knew that I wanted to do something new. I didn't know what it was. And um, in my free time, I started organizing group meditations because meditation had been this really helpful tool for me since I started getting panic attacks in my early 20s. Really valuable tool. I started organizing group meditations in my free time, and I was having peers come in from the music industry, the tech industry, the places that I was partying in the city to come in and, and share meditation together. And we did our first, what we called Medi Club gathering. It was about 20 peers. We meditated and then a meditation teacher talked about meditation and the event ended. It was nice. The next one we came back, um, similar size group of people. We shared the meditation, but when the meditation ended, I felt a call in to then speak honestly through a place of realness about where I was at in my life. And I think I felt like I could do it in this space because it was a group of people that decided to meditate and sit in silence together, right? There was, there was almost like a buy-in and a permission to maybe do that. Mm. And it was nerve wracking, but I spoke up with this group right after our meditation about this process of having left this company. It was just the only thing that I'd really known I'd spent nine years building it. My identity was so attached to it. And having left it, I was really confused, feeling a lot of uncertainty, fear around my future, trying to make sense of purpose, comparing myself a shit ton to people online, especially because I wasn't working at that time. I was about to turn 30. Mm. And I shared this truth. It came from that place of realness. And when I asked the room if anyone else could relate, it was totally silent for a couple seconds. And it was the most devastating feeling like, I just shared something so real, feeling so naked. Sure. What the fuck did I do? And then the silence broke when one other person chimed in, and it was a um, it was a peer that um, I really looked up to, that I had seen through an entrepreneurial and sort of success lens, who communicated a bunch of similar challenges. And then one other person did the same thing. And another person did the same thing. And we just all started to realize that we're all going through shit. 
and that hearing each other go through it created this sense of validation, a sense of healing, right? There's something about being seen and heard in this group made us feel like humans. It was like a collective, oh, exhale, just like massive relief. And what I learned in that moment, well, there's a couple things, but the first thing was, this is something that I'm meant to be doing in my life, or it's right, facilitating these experiences, creating permission for people to be real in this way. But I also learned that being real or vulnerable or authentic, whatever you want to call it, is an incredibly powerful way to connect with humans, to lead, to build something, in my case, to build a community. So yeah, that's an example of what I mean by it and why and how I think it's such a powerful tool for human beings. Yeah. And you know what's so powerful about, I think when we think about the concept of being real is a lot of times when we work with our guys like at Junto retreats and we talk about the the truth that when we share what's real for us, we give other people permission to do it first. And so in that way, it is an act of service in and of itself. It's that if we're bold enough and brave enough to be fully seen, then other people have permission and a container to do that for themselves. It's, it's so rare that we have that. I remember after our first men's group, I remember one of the people, when we were done, he just looks at everybody and he was just like, man, I feel so much less alone. Mm-hmm. Like you talked about, like that collective exhale, this knowledge that like everyone is going through so much. It's just under the surface. And so for you, when you first kind of embraced this realness, what I want to hear about is like, what is, what's the resistance in you to speaking up? And if you can speak to what keeps people from tapping into this, from allowing themselves to be speaking, from, you know, speaking their truth. And, you know, if you can frame it through your own journey of like having this experience from really the first Medi Club to then growing the movement from speaking to 20 to, you know, thousands of people at Big Quiet. So how did that first little taste then influence your journey into really harnessing that as a leader? And what were the big challenges that you faced? Ooh. <laughs> so much good stuff there. <laughs> <laughs> go wherever you want to go with it. Um, what do you think are the biggest challenges to bringing that to the forefront? Um. Well, I think to answer the question about what the challenges are, it, it makes sense to, to, to look at the landscape. So I sense that people yearn for permission to be able to do this, to be able to share and communicate at this deeper level of social connection. Yeah. There's almost a lost art form to talking about what's really going on underneath the surface, not just what we do for a living, where we live, what kind of music we like. All those things are great. But there's, there's something almost lost about going, something that's become lost about going to that deeper place of being able to communicate about our truth. And what I sense is that people want it. People need permission to go there. And that people are waiting for that form of permission. And that, that permission can show up in all sorts of different ways. And um, the challenges that block us from getting to that point are people feeling like they can do it, feeling like it's okay to do it. The way to solve for it, in my opinion, is through leadership. It's exactly what you just talked about. Once someone on one of your retreats models it for the group, you've now granted permission for other people to do this thing that they're all yearning for. Even though it can maybe feel a little uncomfortable or create that little sense of cringe before you have to share and go there. But ultimately, this is what I think we crave. So I think that the more as, as leaders we embody these types of qualities to be able to get up in front of a group or in front of a team 
or with your partner or with a best friend or with someone you're experiencing some sort of a challenge or conflict with and to be able to express what's real for you, to not see it as a sign of weakness, but as a sign of courage mm. to communicate in a way that's real is how we break through the challenges that prevent people from doing it. The more of us that do it and model it, the more it spreads. And we saw this with our work at, with MediClub as MediClub grew and we started seeing larger groups coming. We eventually created a, a circles program where we trained about 100 people to host their own mini MediClubs, small groups that would meet in homes and offices and meditate and then have conversations about real stuff. And the feedback that we heard once we were training leaders to go and spread these values in other places was that people that would go to circles would report back to us and say, because this was the level we were communicating at and expressing ourselves about at, I now am doing that with my roommates. I'm now doing that in the workplace and I'm seeing that they're now more likely to do it, right? So there's this ripple effect of modeling it and leading with it, which is critical. Totally. And so what do you think are the biggest areas where people are afraid to share all of themselves? You know, you had talked about earlier, like some of these fears, like the pressures to be, uh, you know, unicorn CEO and like all these other things. And so what are the areas and you can speak personally or generally, whatever you're called to, but where are the areas that people fall into the trap of inauthenticity or not being real? Mm. I think that uh, a, a huge piece of this is that we feel like we're supposed to be a certain way. Yeah. Oftentimes based on how we were raised or through mirroring our peer groups as a man, I've done, um, I've noticed that I've done a lot of mirroring based on what I see other men within my peer group do. I feel like I, I need to do and follow as well. Um, remind me of the question is basically kind of like, what are the, the areas that people don't share all of themselves, you know, like mm. where you see people, because I think MediClub has become this, this bastion of like I saw when you were giving your your kind of farewell talk, if you will, of like talking about creating a space where people can show up and just be themselves. And so like what are the areas where people aren't themselves or like where inauthenticity bubbles up or where they're afraid to share mm -hmm. their feelings, their insecurities, their doubts? Like where, what are the things that people hold back? So many things. <laughs> I do think that across the board, there are lots of areas where this shows up. So starting with men, I think this is a really interesting one. It's, it's often perceived as a form of weakness to share where uh, we're at in regards to a process, not knowing, having emotions. So I think that they're like at a broad level, there's often a gender thing that mm -hmm. is, um, as a man, I need to be strong. I need to be all knowing. There's a level of machismo where I, that I think can come into play. I think we see this across the board in work environments. Yeah. I think it's really common for people in the workspace to want to have all the answers or to present like they have all the answers so they don't seem weak or replaceable, um, un unintelligent. Um, and I think in relationships, especially romantic relationships and friendships, it can be really tough for people to acknowledge where they're feeling lost or maybe where they messed up or what they're feeling scared about, right? So I think that the major themes around this are around perception. A big part of why we don't want to go there or we don't want to be real or share vulnerably or be authentic and honest in something has to do with the fear of how I will be seen. There's a perception piece. 100%. And 
the thing that I constantly see is once people lean into that and they have the courage to embrace it, they often find that people appreciate it. People are, are drawn to it. It's magnetizing. Um, in uh, Brene Brown's book, Daring Greatly, she was one of the first people to really kind of popularize the concept of vulnerability and leadership in pop culture. She talks about a study, it's, a, it's a, one of the Harvard, Harvard Business Review studies, where it shows that leaders that lead with vulnerability create something called a snowball effect, mm -hmm. which is where by getting in front of a group and expressing their truth, even if that means uncertainty, which it often does, that people respond more to the courage that's being demonstrated hmm. in that act of leadership, and they're more magnetized to it, and it creates a snowball effect, a growth of following, and a building of belief in the people that you're working with or that you're leading, if that form of leadership is continued, compared to um, a more machismo style of leadership, like I always have the answers, I always know. We can actually build larger followings and more engaged followings by demonstrating vulnerability, by sharing courageously. And I love that example. Yeah, powerful. Yeah, and I, I think that the, mo the more that we're able to reframe the importance of this and reframe this from something uh, that's weak or something that's, that's not supposed to be communicated into something that's of the human experience, critical to us as human beings and as we connect as human beings, the more we'll start to see it at scale. People, I think, are also just yearning for it, um, particularly because of social media and technology, sort of the loss of religion, more inviting spaces where we used to be able to go there are becoming less common. Hmm. And the disillusioned reality that we experience through social media, which I know most of us are aware of, what we see on social media is not a, re a reflection of the full story of our lives, but it can be really hard to remember that when every time we load our feed, it's just success, success, happiness, happiness, baby bump, engagement ring, funding round. There's so much there, which is great. It's, it's like it's beautiful to be able to hold and support and feel pride for our friends as they, they achieve their successes, but it's so hard to remember that there's so much more to it in all of these posts and stories there's so much more to it just like we learned at that first Medi Club yeah. when successful people were saying well this is a great thing that's going on in my life and there's this thing happening but my point about this is that because we're, we're so we're there are so few places to do this such limited leadership around it and our systems like social media don't really encourage it I'd say probably do the opposite it becomes really challenging to go there. Yeah, totally. And I, I want to point out another thing where you talked about that collective gasp that everyone felt mm. in the first Medi Club. And I almost feel like another time where that happened is when you really started, Medi Club started growing, you started becoming more visible through the big quiet. And what was the title of the article you wrote about the wellness industry? Oh, it was, um, it was, did you, I, I, I could, I could almost remember. Do you remember it? No, it was just something. It was, um, but it was something about being like burnt, burnt. hangover. It was something about my, my wellness hangover. Yeah. Like my, oh, yeah, it was, it was, it was my, it was my, uh, my wellness hangover, how empowering memes bummed me out. That was actually <laughs> exactly. a, cl a clickbait title that the, that the, pub <laughs> that the publisher created, but it was, that was the, that was the, the mindset. <laughs> but it was, but it was that, you know what I mean? Of like the packaging of the self and this idea of wellness and how this act of basically cultivating true well-being is then 
portrayed and packaged right to the external world and you were just really honest about mm-hmm. how like you were just kind of burned out right and like this whole thing of like the the pressure to feel happy all the time or to have it together and i felt like when you put that energy out there of like i love this work and like it was just a lot you know mm-hmm. what i mean and that you were just like you talked about your own depression you talked about you know different episodes and i think that it was just again it's like the more that that our community that people have seen of jesse the more drawn they are to it and it's just been powerful to watch again of like when everything just gets sucked into like social media and this like commerce engine of trying to sell you things and to portray an image in the highlight reel it's like the only real like cool today is is just realness right of what people are really drawn to and so it's really powerful man and i think you know when you think about community building specifically it's like tell me more about how this has parlayed into your ability to grow community of like with cyclones bike club with medi club with all these other things like as a value how do you introduce that into a community context so like i'm thinking about for people who are like leading companies for people who are building communities who are just thinking about being in their friend group of like how do people model this kind of stuff or like how do they do this so that they create that space if we're thinking like practically where do you have those people start Mm. well i would i would say it probably makes sense to start with boundaries and getting clear about what makes sense what level of vulnerability or or realness there's room for given the situation we're talking about I, i i don't necessarily feel like being able to have a space where people can just fully open up and break down and cry at the conference room right before an important meeting <laughs> makes sense, right? I think there's ways to be smart about understanding how to deal with this. Um, so that's the the first thing that I would say is Boundaries, like, is yeah. like, yeah, let's let's get clear about what we're trying to achieve and and in what environment with MediClub. Like, here's the type of things that we talk about here. Yeah, you know what I mean. And yeah. that that's gonna have every that's gonna have so much to do with the people that are modeling it. Yeah, and for those individuals that are leading and modeling it to just be clear about to what extent they go to certain things. There's a great quote that's on this, and I, I don't want to break your train of thought, mm-hmm. but it says that when we give people boundaries, there's freedom in that. But when it's just completely open, that uncertainty can oftentimes be just completely destabilizing, right? It's when people don't know what is acceptable or what is encouraged, they don't do anything at all. Right. But so in, in the context of boundaries, there is freedom. It's like, okay, here are the walls that we're playing on, right? Like, here's what we talk about. So continue. I love that. And there's a, there's a real refinement to this. And this is something that I've learned through my relatively short period of time playing with this stuff, right? It's only been four years. One thing that we talk about, and I would say this applies to any of the different spaces or companies or communities that want to activate these types of tools is, is to make sure that as leaders or people modeling realness or sharing vulnerably, that we share from the scar, not from the wound. And what I mean by this is we share honestly about where we're at, but we're sharing about the lived experience at a place where we have enough perspective on it. There's been enough healing around it where we can share a learning. Mm. And if we're too much in the wound while we're still sharing, it can become victimizing. I'm helpless. Help me. And then what happens is Mm. this powerful concept of, of, of sharing vulnerably and being real, which ideally 
happen so other people can go, oh, me too. Hmm. Mm, Andrew, I hear your story. It reminds me of this learning in my life. That's what we want. But if we're sharing from too much of a wound, instead of having that reaction, people go, oh my God, Andrew's in a bad place. I got to be there for him. That's different. <laughs> yeah. So understanding this, this requires some emotional intelligence yeah. and boundary setting around to what extent are we just going to barf our problems all over people or are we creating a container where we can share in certain ways? Again, this has so much to do with modeling and how it's being demonstrated. Totally. But this feels like such an, such an important piece to it. Yeah. Otherwise it can get messy and out of hand and have, and have negative, you know, ne- negative side effects. But that's specifically when it comes to straight up vulnerable sharing. Yeah. Talking about how there can be a culture of, of honesty and realness in the workplace or in a social group or, you know, with a startup business, um, that doesn't necessarily only need to come across through people sitting down in circle and, you know, totally and, and, and letting it all out that can be practiced through tools like clearing, which is an exercise that I love. Can you say more about that? Yeah. 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 You sit down at a meeting, let's say we're at a, we're in corporate environment and you're with your team and, before the team begins the meeting, uh, the simple practice of clearing is, hey, we're just going to take a quick second to check in and see if anyone has anything that they want to clear that's preventing them from being present to this meeting. Hmm. And then one person checks in and goes, I feel fine. One person goes, you know, I'm feeling a little low today. I've been going through, um, I've been experiencing some loss with a family member. And then people can hear that and the person starts to feel relieved to be able to share it. You know, someone else says, you know, I'm just like, I have a really bad headache and people are with them on that. And people are just being heard, sharing, getting, getting off their chest, what's real for them. Then the level of connection, creativity, communication that occurs for that group in that meeting, exponentially deeper and more powerful sure. through a, through a simple realness technique. Yeah. Right. So there, there are little tools like that that can be implement, implemented. I like I like um, little games or exercises. When we do big group bike rides, sometimes I'll invite the group before we ride to turn to someone that they don't know that's on a bike and to share one thing that they're excited about, one thing they're feeling challenged by. Just a simple prompt to go a little bit deeper, just to get things started in conversation. And that opens up to all sorts of cool relationships and dynamics that come to life. So I guess there are there are certain exercises and tools that totally. can be played with while understanding boundaries in space. Yeah. I mean, I love, I love the one of that's literally how we started our chat today of like for people that are interested in even going to a deeper level with their friends or at work, that that question right there of what are you excited about and what's something that's a little challenging. It's that to give people opportunity to go to both sides of the spectrum and challenging doesn't need to be as heavy as the loss of a parent. It can just be like, feel overwhelmed at work. It's whatever it is. But challenge is not bad. Challenge is just ubiquitous to the human experience. And I find that it's so funny when we talk about challenge. I had a friend named Matt who was at a, uh, well, I forget where we were. I think we were at like a nightclub. And he was like, man, I don't want to talk to any of these people. And I was like, and I was like, why? And he was like, I don't know. They're like boring. And I was like, if you're not interested in these people, it means that you're boring. And mm-hmm. I was like, and he I was like, well, what do you want to talk about these people? And he was like, nothing they want to talk about. I just want to like, I'm like going through a fundraise and everything's really fucking hard right now. And it's like, I don't want to, like, I'm in the middle of this. Like, I guess I want to know what they're challenged by right now. And I was like, okay, then ask people that. And he went to a dinner table the next night and he was like, you know, here's where I'm at 
what's most challenging for you right now? And the entire dinner table erupted. And that was the entire dinner was three, three hours of people just being able to air that and the same thing. Mm. And it's that when we give people an opportunity to go to both sides of the spectrum, you know, it's, it's such a direct pathway to deeper connection oftentimes. So continue. And, and I, and I think to that point, what this achieves, right. When we're, when we're creating permission for people to go to the full spectrum, but to go, but to break past that that surface conversation into something deeper and realer, what it does is it gives people a taste of and a remembering that we're all interconnected. There's like a feeling of belonging that comes with sharing your truth, being vulnerable with someone, them hearing it, and then them sharing and reflecting their own experience back to you. Mm-hmm. We have a we have a um, it's a, it's an opportunity to taste and feel into the lived human experience that we all have. Yeah. It sounds trippy, but it's, it's an opportunity to feel a sense of oneness, mm. to feel a sense of togetherness. And I think that this practice is such a great way to fast track a sense of belonging amongst humans. Um, and that, the essence of that is, I think, so much of what living on this earth is about. <laughs> well, so let's, and so I want to, I'm going to bookmark something right here. And I want to speak more to belonging and why you think that that's so fundamental to just our nature uh, but also I want to bookmark that I want to come back because I think that so much of this sounds good, but I also want to speak to the cynics. It's like, I want to speak to the people that are like, yeah, but if we give people space at work to talk about their problems, then we're just going to be dealing with people's shit all the time. Or it's like, well, you guys might have cool friends in New York who are like open to talking about problems, but my friends aren't open to that. I want to bridge some of those beliefs mm-hmm. that I think a lot of people confront with that keeps them from opening up to the possibility of these types of vulnerable shares. And so bookmark that. I want to loop back on it. But so you just talked about fast tracking belonging, you know, big ups, rada, belong. Mm-hmm. But uh, if we're talking about belonging and like why that's so fundamental to our human nature, can you say more about what that is? Because it's just so obvious that it drives so much of what you do. Mm. So what is what does that even mean to you? Why is it so fundamental to our human nature? Well, I, I believe that right now the thing that we're experiencing as, as humans um, is, is a deep craving. Maybe the thing we crave most is human connection and that what's built into our DNA is existing in tribes, being in groups, contributing to the greater good, actually physically looking out for and supporting the tribe. Otherwise, we wouldn't survive. The oxytocin is even triggered in the brain when we contribute to the greater good and when mm-hmm. we contribute and participate in groups. Um, you know, we're, we're wired to do it. And in that process of we're all in this together, building a tribe, keeping ourselves alive, we feel like we belong. Yeah. This is a, this is foundational to how we existed for by far the majority of how we've existed as a species. And in a relatively short period of time, 12,000 years or so, we've been existing in, in different social constructs. The, the construct that we're in right now is such a unique one, specifically because I think religion f- filled the gap for a while from going from tribe to other, uh, you know, more nuclear families, agricultural revolution, different ways to exist that were more, um, uh, more nuclear. Mm. And religion became a really meaningful way for people to still have that sense of belonging, togetherness, support. We're in this together. We're contributing. Yeah. It's about something greater than just ourselves. Sure. But more recently, especially with our generation, and I say about three-fourths of our generation don't affiliate with religion. So social spaces that once created the platforms for us to have a sense of belonging yeah. are quickly changing and disappearing. 
And the thing that, that, that we tend to lean into to get a sense of that social media uh, is incredibly ephemeral and fleeting in regards to how it actually serves that. Yeah. And there's you know, some interesting studies and research out there that points to how digital connection may lead to more isolation and loneliness. Sure. And uh, just, I think an, an interesting note on this is the most recent Cigna report that came out. You know, they do this deep study on loneliness and yeah. it consistently shows that the oldest cohort of people are the loneliest. Yeah. And it's the first time it's shown that people that are 25 and younger are now the loneliest cohort also happen to be the cohort that's most social, quote unquote. Totally. <laughs> so, and what I, was the number? It was like 54% or something crazy like that. I can't right? remember, but it's, it was pretty remarkable. Yeah. And I say these things because I think it, it's a sign of our time in regards to how lonely we are as a people, um, how real social isolation is, how much we are yearning to, to belong to something, to be a part of something, to feel like we're connecting with other humans, yeah. to feel like we can be supported and seen and heard. This concept of existing around strangers all the time is so new. Mm. When we existed in tribes, we would encounter a stranger once or twice in a lifetime. <laughs> And I think about just my commute from Bushwick to my office in Williamsburg. I'm not even going into Manhattan. And the amount of strangers I see, it's probably over a thousand every morning. And, um, and I can go most of my day being totally surrounded by other people, sure. but being totally alone. Yeah. That's a really interesting new thing for us to make sense of. Yeah. And, and, con and confusing and, and not necessarily how we're wired. So this yearning for belonging, this thing that our, that our bodies understand as a form of survival and feeling good is, can be lost. Yeah. You know, a term that kind of summarizes that was, uh, I forget the woman's name. She gave a Ted talk, uh, when social media was really starting to take its grip and the Ted talk was titled together alone. Yes. Yeah. And it was such a powerful comment. I think it's that. a Sherry Turkle. Sherry Turkle. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And so when you, beautifully summarized kind of like the current state of where we're at of isolation, the need for community, you know, if we're going to circle back into realness, um, you know, I'll, I'll frame it a little bit of like what comes up for me was, you know, early on I had this realization as I was kind of on my own path of like authenticity of just trying to be myself, if you will, whatever that means. And I, I had this realization that if I was so concerned with being liked, which was my MO, through high school and through mm. college, something that I valued so much because I was so lonely growing up in Hawaii as like a middle-class white kid. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to do whatever it takes to fit in. Mm. And so I had this revelation when I graduated from college and I was like, wow, if, if I'm just being who I think other people need me to be, like that's not necessarily my essence, not me. And then I was like, can I be liked if I'm not being myself, right? I was like, these people who like me like this kind of amalgamation of just performance to be liked. And I was like, is it really me? You know what I mean? Of like, if we're truly just kind of like doing the things to appease the perception we want from other people, like, can we ever be liked? And so this idea of isolation and like the, the, the pressure to perform, to put an image out into the world, it's like, which is seems more prevalent today than ever it's like, again, it's the idea that if we're not really being ourselves, can we be liked, mm -hmm. you know? And so when you think about that, like what comes up for you in terms of the need for realness just to actually belong, to actually mm -hmm. have the community, to be seen? Well, I, I love that question and that point. I'll answer this through my own experience. I 
have dedicated lots of energy in my life to being liked. I'd say a tremendous amount. <laughs> and I had a moment, it was at, it was at the one year anniversary of the big quiet where we were back at summer stage, central park. There's 2000 people there and all of these things were going wrong from a production standpoint. And I was starting to sense that people were upset and let down and I was starting to hold a lot of that energy and what, where my head went to was people are going to think poorly of me and they're going to think poorly of the big quiet because they're having this negative experience. Mm. And it was so uh, unbearable for me and challenging that I was not able to appreciate this incredible thing that we created, which is a mass meditation at central park, which created, I think a lot of value for people in the city and ultimately it was beautiful. It was I was, a, it was, I was epic. I was there. I was unable to enjoy it. Yeah. Um, I was fully unable to, to enjoy it. And I realized afterwards that the uh, amount of energy that I put into trying to manicure my ways of being so people like me or like the big quiet or perceive it as a special way in a certain way. So across the board, everyone's happy is totally unsustainable, totally exhausting. Yeah. And it wasn't, an, and it was that moment that taught me that all I can really do is ground myself in what I believe to be true, what feels right to me and how to serve or speak in a way that I believe is of service to the community. And that as long as I'm doing that, people can see it as they want impossible to please everybody. All right. So we, we need to run through those things again, because I think that this is so much of, again, what's important is you talked about how much of this is perception how much of our anxiety, our nervousness, our fear comes from perception? How is this going to be seen? And so what I just heard in you was there was a shift at that place, which is that you're going to do what? You're going to speak from, do those, say those things one more time because I really want people to get it. Yeah, um, that I was going to speak from um, uh, a place from my, what did I say? A, I think a place that was from my heart? Yeah. <laughs> speak from a place from my heart, right? In a, in a, in a way that was true to me true to you that um yeah you put me on spot i can't i can't think about well, it i think you said so what i what i got from it well this is good because it challenges me because i got to be able to repeat it right? yeah. which is one of the goals here is that so you said that i'm going to speak from a place that is true to me and that i feel is of service to the people that are here right and if mm -hmm. i speak from a place that is true from the heart and of service that they can perceive it however they want mm -hmm. right there was a third in there but it's gone it was in the moment, <laughs> but that, that is the essence of it. It's those two things. It's real for me. It's true for me. And it's of service to the people there. Yeah. And so, and I think something powerful happens when you talk about this shift, right? Is because you went from perception. When if you look at the definition of social anxiety is the fear of external judgment. So that's social anxiety. And so in that moment, what, what I see you doing is again, is that now you're grounded into communicating from a place of internal motivation mm -hmm. from the heart like with love and also just like what's of service to contribute. And those are things that you can know is the big difference here is that when you're committing on those two things, you can know those things. If you look inwards and connect with them, that's true, right? Like you can know that. And so when you're communicating based off of like, what are they going to think of me, which is always an unknown, you never know how you're going to be perceived. And so if the driver of your communication is coming from a place of the unknown, the external versus one that is grounded in truth and internal, like how's that going to impact your communication? And so it's like, again, it's so when 
I, I think Jesse's one of the most natural speakers and orators I've ever seen, but I think that this is so much of where it comes from. And so speak more to that of how do you ground into those internal motivators before you get up to speak to like Amex or before you're getting up at South by like, what's your process to ground into that internal truth? Or do you just do it naturally now? It's, it's, it starts with me reminding myself of what we're talking about here, right? Because it's so easy to go to a place of how am I going to be seen? Are people going to like me? Are people going to find me smart? Is it going to resonate? Is my story meaningful? Am I inspiring? You know, all this perception, perception, perception. It makes sense why we feel these things. That's how we're, that's how we're raised, how yeah. society works. Yeah, totally. And when I, if I find that that's starting to come up, doesn't always, but sometimes it does still. If I find that that's starting to come up, I pause and I remind myself that I'm here to speak from my heart. I'm here to speak about what I really believe to be true. Yeah. And that the people that need to hear it will hear it. And those that don't or don't click with it won't. And that's fine. I'm not here to have everyone agree with me or to have everyone like me. I'm here to communicate to the room what I believe is true and what I believe will help them. Yeah, That's it. And this is the most liberating concept. I can't remember what you asked that led us to this, but I know it tied to it because I think that there's so much freedom in this, in this, in this mindset Yeah, and in this practice. Yeah, it was about connecting to those internal motivators of like, what's the process for connecting to those internal motivators that liberate you to just go up there and to be free, which has been so powerful. And so, you know, I, I bookmarked this before. And so I just, I want to like go back and revisit it again. That so much of this is that so much of our anxiety, what keeps us from expressing our truth, from speaking powerfully is again, is because we're aware of these external perceptions. And also to say that that is completely fucking natural. Mm-hmm, it's like mm-hmm. this is a, a Neolithic impulse of like the caveman days of literally if we were ostracized and judged, we get kicked out of our tribe and then you're missing the hunt and you're gone. So it's a fear of death to worry about what people think about us. But it's just, again, that to look inwards. And I think another thing to say here is that the idea of looking inwards is a practice in and of itself of like, you know, I, I think so much of like, if someone asks you, how are you? Do you just say good? Or are you actually clued into how you're feeling? What's true for you? You know what I mean? And I think it's a process to actually work on to understand, like, what is my truth? What am I most excited to talk about? Whether it's my company or my life or something like that. And that it is a practice to, to ground into that internal motivation. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of my biggest flips here was just, I would always see that when I was in social situations, I would see the words external, internal. And like in any moment, you can evaluate whether your action is being driven from an external motivator Mm. or an internal motivator, you know? And so it's a really powerful construct. And so, you know, I want to, I want to come back now. I love that, by the way. That's really, (laughs) that's beautiful. I would literally see the words like while it was happening. And so, you know, what I want to come back to now is like the resistance that some people have of like some beliefs of Mm. like the beliefs that keep people from doing this. And so it's like you do a lot of work with companies and like, I'm curious about what is the resistance that you see at companies of people having some of the thoughts of like, well, if we open up to this, that, you know, we're just going to be dealing with people's personal shit or like, we're not going to get any work done or it'll be too much. Or like, how do we speak to the people who think that this is like going to be too much or like, what are the beliefs that come up that keep people from doing what they need to do? Well, as a starting point, I would say that it is so important that we meet people at the level that they're at. And that we really refine our discernment in being able to understand where people are. If I were to go 
into a corporation. I spoke at Coca-Cola a couple weeks ago. If I were to, if I were to go into Coca-Cola and if I were to go into Coca-Cola and start sharing in the way that I do at MediClub, it would, I think be inappropriate. Hmm. But if I go into Coca-Cola and I give a prompt, like right after we complete a mass meditation, I invite them to turn to someone seated behind them or in front of them, right? Meaning that it's less likely that they know the person and to just share honestly how they're feeling after this experience, right? That's, that's giving them permission to do a little bit more than what they're used to, but I'm not asking a, a MediClub prompt, which is going to go a lot deeper, Yeah. but it gives people a taste of what it feels like to start to deepen into this. And I think that we need to use discernment to make sense of to what extent we're going to meet people at the level that they're at and to what extent we want to push them. Mm. I'm a really big believer in nudging people into these types of practices, but not forcing people and to not, you know, vomit an agenda of this type of work on individuals that aren't into it. It's just going to push them further away from it. So for me, it's about, slowly welcoming people into it, giving them a taste of it and also giving them the permission and the option to not be a part of it. You know, if, if you got, if you have some, some people who are real skeptics about this stuff, don't participate, watch people participate, see what happens when you see them start to go to that place. True. Maybe by witnessing it, you'll start to be, become more interested in it. Maybe you won't. <laughs> I, I've just, I've never been a, a believer or interested in getting everyone to try something or to convert to something, um, you know, it's just, I've always been a believer in attract, not promote, you hmm. know, embody and demonstrate what works as opposed to proselytize and force people into something. Say that one more time, attract versus promote. Attract say, versus say, promote. Say more what that means. So this, this, so- this, this has been a concept that's been at the foundation of all the communities that I've, that I've built wow. and something that I talk about with all my teams. It's not like I have that many teams, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you got a couple but of the people that yeah, I've worked yeah. with. <laughs> um, it's this concept that we are not here to try to force people or convince people to be a part of our community. Let's just stay with MediClub. Sure. What we are here to do is to demonstrate what we believe in and then to say to people, if you want to be a part of it, here it is. The email blast goes out two times before MediClub happens. Here it is if you want to come check it out. But we are not going to be hounding people and pushing people to come through. This concept of attract, not promote comes from uh, a concept called worthy inquiry, Hmm. which comes from the Vedic meditation tradition. It's the idea that when someone expresses interest in meditation or expresses interest in a means to maybe help them with stress or the stuff that they're dealing with, we then talk about meditation. But if someone is not inquiring about meditation or something similar to it, we don't talk about it with them. Wow. And this is something that I, as someone that so much of my business is, is built around meditation, my work's built around meditation, as someone that I meet would never know that meditation is something that I I practice and do unless they're specifically asking me about it. And the reason for this is if we try to push something on someone and they're not interested into interested in it, we're likely going to sabotage our dynamic and push them further away from it. This is basic emotional intelligence. And we can use this same principle of worthy inquiry or something similar to it when it comes to promoting and, and building communities and even businesses. 
And I think that our generation is so sensitive to being sold to. And that what's important for us is to be able to stand in and own our intentions and our beliefs as leaders, as business owners, as people who are selling products, communities, whatever, to stand in that and say, this is what it is. This is how you can access it, but to not force it down people's throats. And it attracts more people. And this is a universal energy that works with all things. I think with, with dating, mm. with, um, with business, Right, I, I have a, um, uh, a little saying that I say to myself sometimes when I need to reground in this, which is strong intentions, no expectations. Hmm. Really simple concept. I'm gonna be really clear and strong in this business meeting about why I think that this is gonna be, be a perfect partner for the big quiet and why I think and how I think we're gonna kick ass together. And I'm also gonna make clear, because I believe this, that if we don't work together, it'll be okay. We'll find someone else. If you, can, if you can genuinely connect with that and bring that energy to a meeting or to a date or to whatever it is, that is incredibly powerful. It's magnetizing. Can't be fake though. <laughs> totally. Dude, it's such a powerful intentions, not expectations. And so the way that I think about that is in the context of creating like flow states. Mm. And that one of the, the characteristics of creating a flow state is the idea that you can have clarity about a goal of like, so you can actually have a, a goal of like winning a basketball game, but to tap into a flow state, you're actually not thinking about winning the basketball game. You're focused on the present moment and like how you want to be, right? And so mm. it's like if I'm in a game, that's just grounded into my psyche of like, of course, I'd like to do that. But it's like you detach from that into the moment to be present with just how you want to be right then, what you control in the moment. And so like you wow. talk about on a date of like, of course, I'd like it to go well, right? Why? Of course I do. Sure. That's like a goal. But to have the expectation that that will happen, that you can release from that, that you can have clarity about a goal. Of course, I want to book this $100,000 client, right? But that when we focus on just our intention of how I want to be in the moment is that we have control over that. Totally. And that when you release from that, there's like an, an energy of like, I always ask myself the question of like, do I need anything from this person? And anytime in a relationship, if I need to be liked or validated as smart or like anything, is that I always feel like that energy just adds something that people resist, mm. right? And so when you come in with intention and no expectation, people just feel it's liberating energy, man. It really is. Yeah. It, what it is is it's, it's a means to eliminate neediness totally. from our actions. Neediness is consciously and subconsciously unattractive. It's repellent. And if we're able to have practices like the one I shared, strong intentions, no expectations, and that allows us to release, then uh, things become a lot more magnetizable. Totally. And it's, I think it's an interesting line to cross about social relationships versus our, our deeper relationships is because in deep relationships, whether romantic or friendships, you can have articulated needs. I think it's, it's, it's great to have needs and boundaries of things that you need in like your romantic relationship to be conscious of those. But also it's like in moments where we feel discomfort socially, I think a really powerful introspective moment is to ask yourself like, what do I need from this? person, right? If I feel uncomfortable, what do I need from them mm, mm. to feel whole in this moment? Um, and so you, you beautifully spoke about it in the professional context. So what about socially? What about, you know, I just like, I got to shout you out for a moment because again, it's like you've given so many people access to meaningful community, to like groups that are engaged in positive things in the world, both individually in the world of service it's, it's so amazing to watch it 
kind of blossom and continue to grow. And so what do you say to the people who are like more cynical or just have a belief that like people can't handle all of my shit or like that I'm not funny or witty or cool or likable? Like, what do you say to that person who doesn't believe that like who they really are is enough? I'd say try it. <laughs> Seriously, you know, and, this and I'd say I'd say, but what if it, you know? Not going to work. It didn't work. What, what do you say? <laughs> oh, I would say there's only one way to find out. Yeah. And what we do is at a place like MediClub, where this will happen sometimes, we, we do our best to create a really safe space for it. And we have agreements that we use and we set a container. And it's not going to be for everyone. We create safety that most people aren't used to to go there. Yeah. But it's not going to be for everyone. But if someone's, if someone's really pushing back in that way, I'd encourage them to try it or to just listen. See what it's like to just be a part of the experience just as a listener. And then maybe next month you'll come back to MediClub and try it out, mm. right? And I, I'm, I'm not here to convince people of anything. That's sure. the thing. And if someone is, is really holding back and creating these stories for themselves, I don't feel like it's my role to try to help them change that story. Mm. Um, maybe they have a coach or a therapist that can work with them on that. But when it comes to what we're talking about right here, it's not my role. My role is to, my role is to, is to continue create a container and to model a way of being yeah. that can be really powerful and freeing, but it requires courage. And if that person isn't willing to apply that courage, then maybe now's not the right time for them to practice it. Yeah. And there are, by the way, a lot of people that uh, are cynical about the work that I do. And there are people, there are friendships that I lost when I made the change from being a guy that ran a record label in a tech fund to being a guy that organizes group meditations. <laughs> You know, I was actually yeah. this, this past weekend, I was with, um, a friend actually on the cyclones ride. We yeah. had our six year anniversary cyclones ride and we were catching up and he said that he's been working with, um, a person that I used to be really close with. Yeah. And he, in passing, he shared with me that, um, this, that this guy, and I haven't talked to this guy in a while, even though we used to be really close, but that this guy thinks what I'm doing is weird. And, and then he, and then, and then my friend said, actually, a lot of people do. And that for, for a couple seconds, that really stung, yeah. you know, it's like, it brought up some of the stuff we talked about earlier. It's like, man, the fact that people will judge me like that, um, and have never come to our event or stopped talking to me, something like that, um, that felt hurtful at first. And then I remembered what I'm doing is not for everyone. And maybe, maybe some point in his life, he'll be interested. Maybe there's, you know, there's a, there is a story he's telling himself about something that I do or something that I did that made him feel a certain way. You know, I, I just kind of released it and, um, was able to accept that what I do is not for everyone. And I'm not here to convince everyone that what I do is for them. Yeah. And that there's something really beautiful, I think, in being able to just, accept that <laughs> yeah man and it's like i even i can i feel like the pit in my stomach as you talk about it and then i but then i'm reminded of a bigger truth of like the idea of that doing the work that you're most called to putting yourself out there is vulnerable and that those moments yes. will happen where it's not received and it's natural to feel the sting oh, of that but then the bigger the bigger the bigger context is like what's scarier than that rejection that resistance is the idea of getting to your getting to the end of your life and never having done that right 
right? That's it. What a powerful framing. But it's that, that yes. Is it scary? Yes. But imagine whatever it is inside of you that you want to express, that you want to do, that you never did because of the worry that it wouldn't be received well, mm-hmm. right? Or that you would be rejected or whatever it was. Of like, I think that, that that frame is, again, of just like, you just have to, right? It's like, because it's, I think my friend Amber says this, of like, don't, don't die with your gifts still inside of you. Yes, love it. And so it's, it's, uh, it's again, man, I think that you're, it sounded like you were about to say something. I was going to say that I just so appreciate that you're highlighting this because yeah. I think that it's so important for us people to be reminded that doing this kind of stuff is tough. L- leaving a job or moving out of a career that we were raised to do yeah. or that society around us told us to do, to follow something that, that feels more exciting or more in alignment or more fulfilling is not only scary, it can be really lonely and isolating being on a path that's different from other people can be really confronting and tough, especially when the majority of people aren't taking that approach. And then you, you compound it with how, what people will think about it and how you're perceived by family and friends and society. And it's, um, I think it's really important to celebrate this process for the people that in my opinion are some of the most important forms of leaders right now people who are willing to make a change so they can make their greatest contributions to the world, powerful form of leadership. And it's tough. It's scary. Uh, and the more that we talk about these things, the more that we can, you know, celebrate and empower the listeners of this podcast who are thinking about going on that path or on that path, the better because the world needs us to be in our truth. Mm -hmm. Right. And when, when we are instruments of truth, the world becomes a more dynamic place. And I, I really believe that, the the way that we're able to solve the greatest problems in our world and is a very lofty concept but the way that we're going to be able to get creative for solving the greatest problems that we're faced with today are going to come from us making shifts in our lives to be in places where we're really here to give our gifts yeah and to find the things that energize us and fulfill us we need to commit to it yeah and it's i i had a a revelation of i'd never really understood the quote uh, our greatest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our greatest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure until recently. And it was like this idea of so much of the work that we do with Junto of just like mm. getting back into integrity, acknowledging like what are the parts of ourselves that we're not sharing, that we're not suppressing, that we're not honoring. And then it was like, oh, once you really become aware of who you are and like step into that, there's a lot of responsibility. And so our greatest fear is not that we're inadequate, but it's that our real power is there and that we know it and that we're not fully expressing it. You know, what do you think so scary about expressing it or owning that? Because again, man, it's that it's to be fully seen. It's that by not, by playing small, by not sharing the self, it's like armor. It's because any resistance that you get, any rejection subconsciously, we can think to ourselves, I didn't really go for it. You know, that wasn't like all of me, but when you put all of yourself into it, you know what I mean? When you put all of yourself into the book proposal and it gets rejected, mm-hmm. when you share your emotions and your partner's like, this is too much for me. I'm not like ready to go there. Like whatever it is, it's like, it's, it's painful. It can be like, you know what I mean? But also 
to risk that is also where you find the biggest gains. Mm -hmm. This is where we find the deepest connection, the deepest fulfillment, the deepest growth in our life. And so it's again, man, it's like the, I think that's just the longer that, that I've experienced this way of living, of just aligned with, with who I am, my own values, what's important to me, the almost like the, the time frame between opening up to the perception of others or the sting of not being received that I wanted to mm-hmm. becomes smaller and smaller because I'm just more like, well, this is just, it's who I am and what I think is important. And that's ultimately like what I'm here for, you know? And so it stings over and over again when it pops up and it will, if you're extending yourself, but more and more, I just come back to what's true and what's there. So. And it, I, I love that point because I really do think that this process that we're talking about is, is like a muscle that strengthens Yeah. and that the, the more that we're practicing and strengthening it, the less, the less it's, the less it stings. Yeah. And the stings last longer. And then I think we reach a point where, the stings happen very infrequently yeah. because we can become so grounded in who we are. Yeah. But that there's a process of unlearning and commitment to that that takes time. I'm still very much in my process. A hundred percent. And I think that's something that's so important to say is like, you know, we, we've been talking about this conversation for the last four years of our relationship since you crashed in our tent at Bonnaroo <laughs> and ditched the VIP. And I think that it's so much about that to, to put it all in context of like that this really is a practice right? Is that it is a journey and just one of like being aligned and in integrity and honoring that. And it doesn't mean that it just becomes easy. It just means that it becomes like meaningful and rewarding. And like, that's, that's a, like a life on fire to me at least. And so, you know, I appreciate that you, you acknowledge that of still being in it, but that it's just, it's a rewarding, rewarding path when you give yourself to it. Mm. Yeah. Amen, brother. Well, my man, here's to, you know, one of the most important aspects of empowering people to do this is to provide the the communities, the containers where they can do it. And so, you know, where people can, can find some of these, um, is, you know, jesseisrael.com, obviously your site, and then just speak to the communities that you've created. So people have some context and where they can find those online. Sure. Cyclones, which is our social bicycle, bicycle riding club. We have, bike riding chapters in New York and LA and we gather hundreds of people to just go on these these fun cruises where we check out places we've never been before make new friends going on ventures cyclones.cc is the website and um, MediClub is a monthly meditation gathering that I founded but no longer run and it's where a couple hundred people gather to meditate enjoy performances and then talk about real shit like we're talking about here and then break up into groups to really go deep on those conversations. And there's food, there's drinks, there's group singing. Um, Medi club doesn't really have a website, still. <laughs> <laughs> but if people are interested in it, this is a little complex, but the way to, the way to get on the emails is to um, Google the words Medi M E D I. And then the next word club and then a medium blog post will pop up, which is a blog post that I had written in the early days of MediClub. And on that blog post at the very top of the page, you can sign up for the emails. This is, this is when that whole demonstrating, not promoting concept goes way too far. That's what it looks like. <laughs> Seriously. And then the big quiet, which is what I put most of my time into now, we host mass meditations for thousands of people. We do them at iconic places like Madison Square Garden, Top of the World Trade Center. And we gather people to meditate and then we book incredible performers to 
uh, perform once people open their eyes. So it's an experience of connection, well-being, meditation, performance, art, at really special places. And we're going on the big, quiet mass, uh, national mass meditation tour in October, our second tour. We're going to 10 cities in one month, fired up, going to some really sick locations, and really you, interesting spots. Are you aligned with festivals everywhere that you go, or are you doing your own? No, no, events? no. We, 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 it's fully our own thing. Amazing. So when we go on tour, we are... Um, we're, we're going to, to landmarks and creating an experience from the ground up that we're selling, that we're creating, Amazing. that we're fully producing. Yeah. Fe- uh, we make stops at festivals separately. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing, man. And, and that's at thebigquiet.com. Yeah. And then for your personal work, because I know that you're also now leading these meditation trainings, like some of the other things. So what about your personal work and how people can kind of engage with you there? Yeah. So I, I do a lot of public speaking. I talk at Fortune 500s, uh, conferences, colleges about community building and some of the things that we talked about here. And I also guide mass meditations at corporations, which I love. And I offer a meditation training that I run that's open to the public in New York and LA. Um, I also do that same training at corporations for executives and teams. And that's a, that's a, a three session training where I just give people the complete tool set and understanding and support to have a daily meditation practice for life. Yeah. And, um, info for all those things can be found on my website, jesseisrael.com. Amazing brother. Well, dude, I mean, we're, we're over an hour and, uh, the time flew, but so did the hour and a half before it. So I love you, man. I'm very, very grateful for the man you are, the energy you're putting in the world. And, uh, you know, I'm reminded through all of this, you brought up Brene Brown, but one of the simplest quotes, but probably a great bookend to this whole conversation is choose courage over comfort Mm. every single time. And you're giving people the containers and now like the insight and wisdom to do that, man. So I'm, uh, I'm grateful to have you in my life and excited to share this with the world. So thank you for stopping by, man. Thank you so much for having me. And I got to say that as as a, as a closing word that on this path over the past four years of doing this, and facing a lot of the weird uncertainty and discomfort around it that you, my friend, have been one of the most supportive people in my life to, to help me stay connected to the light and the deeper understanding that this is my path. And your support and encouragement as a friend and as a teacher and as an advisor has really um, made me the man that I am today and has a lot to do with the work that I do. Yeah. So to be on your podcast means a lot and I love you, brother. <laughs> love you too man brings it back surround yourself with people that you're called to support good things will happen signing off jesse israel